We're well, back. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Mary, Tyler, and More, your favorite mumble cast that you've never heard of. My name is Mary. My name's Tyler. And we're really excited to be back in the booth today. Yeah! Woo! So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Oh, that's such a tasty jam. It really is. I love how we say that every single episode. Because it will never not be a tasty jam. Like, it just, it will always be that way. It, it is. Folks, we are very excited to be back in the booth this afternoon. We, this week, are transitioning from film. We are going into the land of literature. We're going to yeah. be in book world today. And the topic of today's discussion is going to be the novel Horror Store, written by Grady Hendrix. Yeah. He's become one of our favorite authors. So I was at Target looking for a book, and I have the weirdest selection process in the world. Kind of like when I buy a bottle of wine that I don't know whether it's going to be good or not. I buy it because of the label. Oh, sure. Yeah, so I bought, I got this book literally because of the cover of the book. And it is just a bunch. It's a black cover with peaches on it. Yeah. And then two fang marks that are right in one of the peaches. And it's just dripping this juice. Yeah. And the title of this first book that I got by Grady Hendrix was The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Which, which we a great book. Yes. We will talk about that, I'm sure, at some point in our lives. But this book that we're talking about today by the same author. And so I think the best way for us to kind of break this down is we're going to start with our foundation. Give a synopsis, I think, of the book. Seems like it would be a good idea. Also, we're just going to put this out there. Since we're talking about it, it's pretty obvious. But just in case, we're going into spoiler country. So if you want to read the book, read the book before you listen. Or if you want to, like me, I listen to it and then I still read it and enjoy it anyway, <laughs> because half the time I don't remember. <laughs> but there are there are some people in our circle that prefer to listen to books on tape than they do reading them, which yeah. is great. I love that. I think audiobooks are fantastic. Yeah, and if you can find an audiobook that has a narrator who is compelling, I yeah. think it's easier for you to kind of connect with it. It's like if you go and listen to Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. The British versions are read by Stephen Fry. Oh. I know. I really oh, wish that no. I had been able to get those when I was a kid. Sure. Though I I do have to say I struggle yeah. listening to audiobooks sometimes. Really? I'm a, I'm a visual person. Which is so funny because you won't have the book in hand, but you'll do an electronic book. Like you'll do an ebook. Well, you didn't know me when I would read books all the time. I mean. I was, I was literally like uh, they were fused to my hands when I was a kid. Fair because enough. Because I didn't like being around people. Fair enough. Well, I think uh, that's an excellent transition into this <laughs> physical book. Yeah, that, so what's this about? So I'm, it's an excellent transition into this physical book that I'm holding. So Horror Store, when you look at this, it is actually printed larger than a normal paper-bound book, I suppose. Yeah. And it is supposed to look like the product catalog of an Ikea. Yeah, only it's Orsk. Yes. So to kind of give you guys a baseline for where we're going to start. Here is the summary from Inside the Dust Jacket. Yeah. Something strange is happening at the Orsk Furniture Superstore in Cleveland, Ohio. 
Every morning, employees arrive to find broken, caring bookshelves, shattered glands water goblets, and smashed Lyripip wardrobes. Sales are down, security cameras reveal nothing, and store managers are panicking. To unravel the mystery, three employees volunteer to work a nine-hour dusk-till-dawn shift. In the dead of night, they'll patrol the empty showroom floor, investigate strange sights and sounds, and encounter horrors that defy the imagination. A traditional haunted house story in a thoroughly compelling setting, Horror Store is designed to retain its luster and natural appearance for a lifetime of use. (laughs) Pleasingly proportioned with generous French flaps and a soft cover binding, Horror Store delivers the psychological terror you need in the elegant package you deserve. Yeah, so this is one thing I absolutely love about Grady Hendrix. He cares about the whole package. Oh, God. Seriously. Every single thing that he makes, like every book that he writes, usually has, I you could call it shtick, but it, it's all-encompassing. So because this is about a retail store, it looks like an Ikea catalog. Mm-hmm. Like his book, My Best Friend's Exorcism, Mm -hmm. that looks like a VHS case. Oh, God, that book is so good. And the electronic version has extra shit with it. Oh, does it really? Like videos and stuff. Really? And he even made a Spotify playlist for it. Oh, did he really? Okay, that's cool. Okay, that's cool. And every one of the the chapters is named after a a really famous song from the 80s. Mm -hmm. So, like that, each chapter has a, how would you put it, like a product guide. It's a featured product description, I'd say. Yeah, but it it always has something to do with what's going on in the chapter. Mm -hmm. And did you notice the fun thing about the product codes? No. Every single one of them has 666 in it. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you (laughs) went to the book to see that. Every single one of them. So it's funny to me because I've had this book in my hands Uh and I read every single page. I didn't think to look at that. I only saw as the book is starting to, the story is progressing forward and we're starting, yeah, we're starting to get into the shit of it. It changes the products from the things that you'd find in the store to the torture devices that were used on the grounds prior to the store's building. Yeah. But that, oh my God, now I have to go back and look at every single one. Of course you would notice that. (laughs) See, I'm the kind of person who looks at everything. So even like, I don't know, the attention to detail on that, really, I really appreciate it. Because each thing has its own colors and everything like that. So it's exactly like a, a product description. That's so funny to me. Yeah. Oh my God. But the product numbers, because... As we'll see in the theme of this, anything with retail can be, you know, compared with torture. (laughs) Speaking from personal experience, since Tyler and I have both worked retail. Yeah, the Red and Khaki Army. (laughs) Which is not the Red and Denim Army, which, whatever, that's fine. Though I think that's only on the weekends, unless they changed it. It's all the time now. Like, I've literally seen, I see jeans all the time. Which pisses me off because we talked about that when we worked there almost a decade ago. Yeah. And they're like, no, it's fine. Now they don't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. They're actually becoming Walmart. Oh, God. Don't say that. As soon as I see someone in pajama pants there that's working, then I'll know. Now we out. Then I'll know. Yeah. (laughs) 
So if you're interested in any other books by Grady Hendrix, he, like Tyler mentioned, the My Best Friend's Exorcism, an excellent, excellent story. He, I've, I mentioned the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. He also has another book called The Final Girls Survival Club. Yep. His new one, How to Sell a Haunted House, just came out last week. You can find these books in pretty much any bookstore, I would say. You can also find them online at Amazon, which is where I got Horror Store. But our local Target store does have at least a couple of them. But I would definitely say go to your local bookstore before you go to Target to try to support whatever yeah. local business that you can. If we had a one that would usually have, you know, general mm-hmm. books in it, I would do that. General books? Yes. General books. Reporting <laughs> I, for duty. I did the salute and then realized that no one could see me <laughs> except for Tyler. So that's great. You know, I appreciated it. Yeah, it's good. But yeah, local bookstores here, unfortunately, just don't have that. But please, frequent them. We need to have actual bookstores still. Support local business. I'm talking about this from someone who only reads digital books, but please. <laughs> I will go support a local I, bookstore. I miss bookstores so much. <laughs> That used to be my favorite place to go in the mall. The uh, That's the nerdiest thing I can say. <laughs> you right. <laughs> so since we've done a synopsis, we should probably talk about our main cast of characters, yeah? Yeah. Our story's title character, her name is Amy. She is your classic disgruntled retail worker. Me. God damn it. <laughs> You're not wrong. She is... Waiting on a transfer from the store that she's at to a different store, uh-huh. hoping that the grass is greener on the other side of the retail mall. Yeah, been there, done that. <laughs> not really knowing what to do with her life. Very wishy-washy, just kind of floating along, not really having a grasp of the trajectory of her future. Yeah, she she's lost. Yes. That's the best way to put it. Very much so. She's just lost. And then we also come across the store manager, whose name is Basil. And he, Hello, Basil. Basil. And he's <laughs> recently been appointed store manager of this particular location. And much like a beginning manager, he's trying to also navigate the ups and downs of different personalities, running the store versus personnel, and yeah. all of the trials and tribulations that come with doing that. Also being part of the indoctrination. Yeah. Uh, That covered it perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'd say that's a thousand percent true. Because if you haven't worked in retail, it's 100% indoctrination. Actually, I guess that's kind of corporate in general, where you have to have the corporate culture. You have to drink the Kool-Aid. You have to buy into it. Yeah. And when they go hard, they go fucking hard. Good. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Then, of course, we have the classic... All-American, everybody loves this matriarch, Ruth Ann. And she is just, I mean, sweet as pie, very, very non-confrontational, just wants to go with the flow, Yeah, just does her work, and she's personable to everybody. We knew one of those at Target. We knew several of those at Target. But this one in particular, she only ever wanted to be a cashier, just like Ruth Ann. Uh-huh. And that was just how they, you know, navigated. And you know what? Props to them. They knew what they wanted. Yeah. I think that if you're in a job that you know it's just a job and it's something that is just taking up time, it's giving you a little bit of scratch here and there, but it's not really for anything else other than that. That's totally great if that's what you want to do. Well, and it really helps them with that connection because usually those people are the ones that don't do people well, Mm -hmm. but they still want to have that connection with people. Yeah. 
because it's transactional. It's very, it's quick. Yeah. Hi, how are you? Beep, beep. Here are your things. Have a nice day. Move on. Me, on the other hand, could not do that. You did do it for a minute, but it is correct. You ended up in the back room with the gremlins like me. I was working the early shift, so I wasn't really around people as much. And then we did overnights and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I did signing for a while. Mm-hmm. Which actually ties in perfectly to what this book is truly about. At this store, they come in every morning and there is something that has been vandalized. Whether it's, you know, furniture that is broken or someone has defecated in, you know, yeah. one of the parts of the store. or On a couch. On a couch. <laughs> they're, they cannot figure out why this is happening. So Basil decides that they're going to do an overnight in the store to try to catch whoever is in there defacing all of the property. Yeah. All the while not telling the actual manager of the store because no, no. Basil wants to make sure that he has it covered. And it doesn't become a thing. Yes. In addition to these three colorful characters, we then also find out that Carl, who is a transient who has made his way into the store, and he does the sneaky thing where he'll hide in the bathrooms at night and stand up on the toilet so when they go do the check in the bathrooms, That's they don't why see I always him. opened them. Gotta open a stall, baby. Bump, bump. Gotta open it. <laughs> the last two characters I think that we really come across until the meat and potatoes of the matter are Trinity and Matt. And Trinity and Matt, two young kids, also employees of Orsk. They, however, are convinced that the store is haunted. Yep. So they are coming into the overnight not to actually catch whoever's doing it, but they are there to start their own TV show and sell it to Bravo. Not A&E. Fuck A&E. <laughs> Much like fuck Brigadoon, fuck Amy. <laughs> so that is the main cast of characters that we're working with. And it's not really until the latter parts of the book that we do come across a character, the big bad, whose name is Warden Worth. And what you find out is that this building was built very much like poltergeist. They moved the headstones, but they didn't move the bodies. Yeah, so it was a place of like super bad juju. It's the Cuyahoga Penopticon. Thank you. I love that I went to go look for that. You're just like, bam, <laughs> got it. Will you please tell people what a Panopticon means? Yeah, so I'm really glad that I looked this up because I was like, this is definitely a thing. I knew that it wasn't made up because that's such a very specific word. But apparently in the 1700s, the late 1700s, I can't remember what his name is, but this British theologist, I think, or something like that. Always, always was British. Came up with an idea for the perfect prison. <laughs> a theologian? A theologian? Something like that. I can't remember. But that's hysterical that a theologian is the one that comes but up with But it was the... based on a theory. <laughs> And then they use that theory to create it. Oh, my God. Love it. Yeah. Continue. So the, the theory was if you instill the feeling of omnipresence, then you will be able to control the penitents. Oh, God, I hate that. Oh, I hate that. So that's what a panopticon is. It's a round prison with multiple levels and each prisoner is in their own cell. And then in the center... There's a guard post that can watch every single one of them in a 360 view. And so the idea of it is you can have one or none guards because the whole point is they can't really see the guards, mm -hmm. but the guards, quote unquote, can see them. God. So they could 
watch them or not watch them. It was a mind game. Oh, God. And they couldn't interact with other inmates. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they were constantly being watched, basically alone in their cells. And it was just a place for madness. And that's why I love (laughs) that Grady chose to use that Mm -hmm. as a basis for it. Sure. Because I can totally see a warden from that time period just going absolutely nutters. Have we ever talked about John Kellogg? No. So he was a absolute nutball <laughs> in Battle Creek. Um, he was Battle a Creek, New York, <laughs> something like that, Virginia. Some I don't know oh, on the East Coast, what? but basically he had a health retreat for rich people. Oh, good. There's always a health retreat for rich people. And as you know, Kellogg, Kellogg cereal. Yes. So he was a health nut. Who believed in abstinence and yogurt enemas. (laughs) I feel like Steven. Steven talked to me about this. Probably. uh, Because he would do do yoga in like little tiny bikinis. Yes. And that's how Steven was like, that's why I think John Kellogg was gay. Yes, 100%. Oh, it's all coming together. And so his thought process was by abstaining from everything and, you know, he, obviously, the man was obviously fighting with homophobia. Right. And he, he was trying to stay away from anything that was temptation. And so through his own, like, insecurities, Ugh. he created this health spa in the, the batshit crazy times of the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> where, you know, they would do anything to try to be better. Yogurt enemas? Yeah. Which, honestly, that's not... It's crazy, but the science makes sense. With the probiotics and... Okay, yeah, maybe. so probiotics are actually not supposed to go in your ass. That's that's <laughs> the part of it that fucks it up. <laughs> but the whole point was to try to get your, your guts back in balance. But... I don't think they really knew what a probiotic was. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just broken. I'm broken over here. It's just, <laughs> well, they're not supposed to go in your ass. <laughs> well, pro would mean before. <laughs> oh, man. Well, much like history has shown, there are nutballs, as you have so lovingly said, yeah. that come up with these things because they're always in the pursuit of trying to make people better, air quotes, right? Yeah. Every cult leader, every person who has tried to come up with some ridiculous out of this world thing to it's the next best thing. Uh-huh. They're always doing it in the pursuit of making people better, but to what end do you make them better? Exactly. And that's really what this book comes back to. Cause after because Carl unfortunately is the the transient in the store is just a vessel for Warden Worth to be able to kind of tell the people Hi, yeah, I'm the bad guy. Here's what's happening. You will either join me or I will kill you. And that's about it. Well, it's not even join. You will do as I I tell tell you. you. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's a great parallel because as John Kellogg was trying to control people with health or what he thought was health Mm -hmm. by creating granola, 
funny or fun fact, <laughs> which I love. Oh god! But it wasn't supposed. It was supposed to be bland, sure, because it was good for you, right? So that's where like cornflakes came from and all of that stuff. Like breakfast cereal wasn't even a thing sure. until he created it with his brother. And his brother was like, oh, my God, we could make so much money from this. And then he created the Enterprise from it. Oh, wow. Yeah, because John didn't care about money. No, he, just he wanted was... to sell. He just wanted to help people. Yeah, he just wanted to, you know, do yoga in a teeny yeah. weeny bikini. And through his quote unquote help, he actually ended up hurting people. And yeah, that's much where, like that jobs do. That's where Warden Worth comes in. Where he believes that through work and toil, you will become whole. Yes. And you will be better and you will be stronger and you will be cleansed of all of your earthly sins. And Because, of course, it, it's all sin. It, it has to be all sin because we're dealing with the 1700s. Like, yeah, he, I mean, he's evangelical to... A crazy degree. And I think it was actually the 1800s. I think you're probably right. But you said 1700s with the panopticon. And so now yeah. I'm just like there. But it remind it actually, the image in my brain of this guy is the witch hunter from Wednesday. That's, That's funny. I kind of had the same thought. The visual that I get yeah. of Wardenworth. So those are your main characters that we're dealing with. That's kind of the storyline in which we find ourselves. Yeah. Just and puritanical fucking nut job. Yes. Hashtag puritanical <laughs> fucking nut job. So good. So now that we kind of have a baseline, let's, let's jump into this discussion a little bit. Yeah. I want to ask you, I've got a series of fabulous questions that you and I can kind of just go back and forth on. Ooh, I love that. From your read of this book. Uh huh. What was the most striking scene to you that you can still recall now that you're done? Actually, just going through all of the torture stuff, that was really haunting. Yeah. Especially as someone who has dealt with mental illness and stuff like that. Sure. It always, anything that has to do with like a sanitarium, any of that really hits home with me because it's so wrong how badly those people were villainized mm -hmm. because they weren't quote unquote normal. Exactly. Yeah. The wild ride when it becomes everything with the penitentiary and the sub basement and all of that crazy shit. <laughs> but the whole fact that Warden Worth wasn't able to, like the, the people who actually owned the prison, mm -hmm. wouldn't let him do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And so his response was to drown everyone. Weird. And <laughs> then that means the store is getting drowned. And that in and of itself is just a wild ride because, yeah, they're in freezing cold water. They've been nailed into... <laughs> <laughs> like Ikea furniture. Oh my. Like coffins. Literally using the Ikea furniture as things like crucifixes and coffins. Yeah. And, Wild. And the fucking tide of rats that are in there. What is it with Grady Hendrix and liking I rats? I I don't understand. Southern Book Club does the same thing. Yeah. Well, and that one actually made more sense. Well, yeah, because you're dealing with vampires. Like, Yeah. I get why the rats were in there because they do the same thing. They're fight or flight. Yeah. From a sinking ship. Where from are they going to go? From a sinking ship. Mm -hmm. That made sense. And they're off-putting. They're 100% off-putting. Absolutely. So their inclusion was great. 
it was also how do you get out of a building that's almost completely pitch black? And all the doors are locked and it is flooding. And you're in a maze. And you're in a maze. So you follow the way of the water. Mm-hmm. You follow the rats. Mm-hmm. So they, they did have a story element too. Yeah, true. They were a story device, but they're also off-putting. But anyway, that whole scene, just it, it because it's like a fucking race to the end. And I love those books where they build and they build, they build, they build. And then they're just like... Bang! (laughs) And they go. Because that is how Stephen King used to write. Sure. He doesn't do that as much anymore. His books have changed now that he's not on cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Damn it, Stephen King. (laughs) But he would spend the first, like, probably 100 or 200 pages not really doing anything. Just sticking about. It It was just... Coming up with the characters, introducing you to them, Mm -hmm. and setting up the story. Salem's Lot's actually a great example of this, where he, you know, builds the whole town, and you don't realize that everyone's fucked Mm -hmm. until it's already too late. So that's why I loved how this was laid out, where it builds, it builds, shit happens, and then it gets worse. (laughs) (laughs) I love it when things get worse. <laughs> it's it's thrilling as a, a reader uh-huh. because the stakes are so high, they honestly could not go any higher. <laughs> See, that's the thing about Grady Hendrix. Like, with all of his books, Sons, Final Girls, Support Group, all of them are such a quick burn for me. And maybe not a quick burn, but it is, I get into it and I am in it all the way to the end and I am flying through pages just trying to get to the next thing. Yeah. And Horror Store was no different. The The thing that I really appreciated about, about Grady Hendrix as a writer is that he is able to craft such suspense using so little. Like this, so it's not really an integral scene at any point, but it's just the visual aspect of it for me. Sure. There is a a scene in this where, so Carl has, our transient, Wardenworth has possessed him and kind of given the statement, you will join me and you will do what I say or I will kill you. And he slits Carl's throat uh-huh. and and so Carl is dead or everyone thinks Carl is dead. And so they're running off all of the kids, Amy, Ruth, Ann, Trinity and Matt and Basil just trying to be Basil. Yeah. <laughs> trying to control the situation when there's no way. Oh my God. He just keeps telling people to go to the break room and they're all like, fuck you. We're not doing that. <laughs> so this poor guy, he's just trying to keep the shit together and he just can't. He's just trying to do his job. He really is. At the end of the day. That's all he's trying to do. So with this store being outlined like an Ikea, which I've only been in once, they have arrows on the floor, which kind of guide you through the store. And they've got maps all across that take you into different spots. Well, the lights keep going in and out. Weird, because rats are probably chewing through the wires, but Warden Worth is down there probably telling them to do all the stuff. Well, yeah, that that's the big thing where it's all paranormal. Yeah, absolutely. All of it is. Carl has died they're running off and they come back to try to take care of the body to take it to the break room the body is missing there's blood on the floor but the body is gone and so they are trying to figure out where the fuck would this have gone and then the lights go out (laughs) and so they've all got mag light flashlights and they're trying to 
navigate the store in the dark. And of course, Trinity and Matt are loving every second of this because they want to make this part of their Bravo show. Yep. And Amy has a mag light and she is going in, I think it's the children's bedroom sets, right? It's something like that. And everything is up on this one level, right? So we've got everything. Just imagine like, you know. It's two story. Yeah. But every, but like where they're at on this level, she goes through the bedroom sets and then all of a sudden she sees Carl slit throat and everything just standing up yep. next to an armoire. And he, so she bolts after him, not really knowing why she's going, but she goes. And through this chase scene, he gets into a closet and gets down to the end of the closet where, you know, it ends where you think a display closet would end. She pokes her head into it and he just sticks his head out and waves at her <laughs> yeah. and then bolts and disappears out of sight. And just that image of going into a fake closet, waving at someone and then disappearing into nothing terrified the bejesus out of me because <laughs> then we find out that there is actually, like Tyler said, that there are sub basements and other things that are connected in this store and that's how things are kind of moving around. Yep. But you get to the sub-levels of this building, and it is just haunting. Absolutely crazy descriptions of what is known as the beehive. Do you know why it's the beehive? I just had this thought. No, tell me. Now that I know what a panopticon is. Tell me. It'd be in the, the shape of a beehive. Nah. And everybody's a worker bee. And everybody is a worker bee. Yeah. Okay, that's... And because the, the sub-basement's a maze. Yes. That wouldn't necessarily be a beehive. It's just, you know... Correct, below. correct. But also, did you notice that the sub-basement and the Orsk layout are almost the same? Yeah, so if you look in the front... Of course you would know that. <laughs> they. I just noticed that when I was looking at the book. So if you look at the map of Orsk, and then in the back, there's the map of the sub-basement... They're both a maze, <laughs> but it's the same basic layout. Oh my God, that is hysterical. Exactly. <laughs> so honorable mention, like I talked about when they find the graffiti in the bathroom wall, right? Because they've been talking about how someone is, someone has to be defacing the walls of the bathroom. When they find this, I'm going to post a picture of this on our socials because it is it is haunting. Yeah. They all followed Basil into the bathroom with Amy bringing up the rear. For a moment, none of them could even speak. The walls were covered with scratches as if someone had taken a chisel and carved them from floor to ceiling. Every inch of the industrial yellow paint was marked, chipped, chopped, scratched, gouged, defaced. This is... Basil trailed off. What? Why didn't you say something? It wasn't this bad, Amy said. It's gotten worse. <laughs> so as there, as shit starts progressing, you know the what's written on the wall are the names of people who are of the Beehive and how long they've been there. Yep. And it's a great parallel to how people feel working in things like retail. Uh-huh. It's like a prison sentence. Yep. You're just a worker bee. Do what I tell you. Just be where you need to be and you will be fine. And I, I love, I do enjoy that parallel so, 
so much. Yeah, there's a lot of themes and symbolism in this, mm -hmm. and I really, really enjoy that. So this actually transitions perfectly. So on the other side of this coin, we had these scenes that were so powerful. Was there anything about this book for you that totally fell flat that you would cut out if you were in charge of rewrites or something that you had to go back and reread because it just wasn't capturing your attention? No, honestly, I can say wholeheartedly that all of Grady's writing, I wouldn't have any issues with, or I haven't yet. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have anything for this one. I do think that the paranormal activity stuff could have not been there and we wouldn't have lost anything. So instead of having Warden Worth having some... Oh, no, no, no. That, that's still there. Sorry, the Supernatural TV show. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, the, none yes. of that was necessary. It feels like those characters were added in to give them a reason for the ending. Sure, fair enough. That makes sense. You could have had the entire story without it. I'm glad it's there, but I think that's the only thing that's kind of fluff. Everything else ties in with everything with the story. Well, I think that's the mark of a really excellent book then. If it's something that doesn't have uh, of your peaks and valleys, it doesn't have really any valleys that you have to kind of navigate. Go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Beautiful. Well, then as far as the read goes, because I know that with both of us being very busy, you doing school full time, was it something that when you started the book, did you, like I did, like kind of race to the end of it because you were excited about the next thing that happened? Or was it a little bit more of a slow burn, but then once you got into it, you were in it to the end? That's me reading in general, the latter one. Mm -hmm. I struggle with keeping my attention, just reading books in general, unless they really captivate me. And then I could read it for hours mm -hmm. and not even notice the time had passed. Like the Sabriel series? Exactly. Yep. Anything from the Old Kingdom. Absolutely love. Okay. So that that is one of just my personal things that happens. It has nothing to do with the book. It's just me. It it takes a little bit for the story to get me. Sure. And this one was definitely one of those where I think it was just the wrong place, wrong time when I started it. Sure. Because I wasn't, I think it was right, I think it was right when I left my job. Oh, Sure. So I was reading every day because that's what I did on my lunch. Yep. And then I had so much free time. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do other stuff like play video games and that. And then reading took a back seat. Sure. So I'm glad that I picked it back up because God damn, is this a good book? <laughs> well, I absolutely flew through pages. I mean, that's just... you in a book anyway. You're right. It's true. But except that one. Oh, yeah, the, the one about the Russian woman who joins the army. Yeah. It was a good book. I just can't do... This one was actually really difficult for me because of the names of certain products. Yeah, I... <laughs> you know what my trick is for that? Tell me. I don't even try to pronounce it. I give it something that I can think of when I'm reading it. <laughs> so you can just kind of blaze through. Yeah, so I can just push through. I like him. Yeah, it, 
I my brain does that automatically anyway. So yeah, it was because all of the things are either they look Scandinavian, Swedish, German. They're all fake Scandinavian. Yeah, so it's it's really hard to be able to identify what that is in your brain's voice, right, in your inner monologue. Yeah. So that was really hard for me to do, but I flew through this book page. After page, I'm pretty sure I read this in three days, I think. It might have even been less than that, because this is actually a pretty short book. Yeah, I mean, in total, including the epilogue, I mean, you're looking at 243 pages, but... And they're big pages. Oh, yeah. And I think the text in the book isn't, like, super small. It's not, but it's also, when you look at it, it's not all the way to the margin either, much like a catalog would be. They don't push it all the way out there. Exactly. This is kind of, I can't remember what her name is. Her books were really, really popular Mm -hmm. when I was in high school. There were alternate, like alternative books. Oh, sure. And they were all poetry, but they were done in different ways. So like... On one page, the words would actually be spiraling based on what they were. They were jagged. Like, they all did different things. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't remember for the life of me who wrote those. Okay. But they were really popular. Well, especially since I hung out with all the weird kids, so. <laughs> <laughs> you were the king of the weird kids. I wouldn't say king. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was also in a job at this point when I was reading this book that I was able to kind of be at my desk and I was able to read on a daily basis because my workload was so minimal that I always just rocked up with a book. And I was told once I was done with my work for whatever portion of the day I was doing it, that I could sit there and I read. And so, yeah, I read, I flew through that book, I'm pretty sure in three days. And it was, I mean, it was a a beautiful read, absolutely beautiful. So then knowing that, knowing all of this praise that we're giving it, here's a question. Uh We've set this, this book is set in a haunted Ikea-like store, right? Would the story change for you? Would it change theme? Would it change intensity? If this book was set in a different location or a different time, because with this Setting specifically, we are in a store that has no windows to the outside. The only thing is the f- doors at the front entrance that let the light in only marginally. Uh-huh. And then everything after that is just the store. It's right? all fake. It's all fake. So would it change if you were inside a store that had windows 365 degrees that you could see the time of day? How do you feel about where we have put this story? So it's very intentional. Everything in it is a parallel to something. The design of the store is meant to confuse purposefully. That 100%, that is what Ikea is meant to do. Oh, yeah. You're meant to be lost in furniture, so you get overwhelmed and want to buy something. So you could just get out of the store. (laughs) But you have to go through every single department to get out of the store. And then even then you still have to go through their cafe and get meatballs. God, that's just, it's, it's genius, but it's also sinister. It is. And that's why this in particular is why it was chosen because just like the Panopticon, it's meant to disorient. You're meant to toil in it if you're an employee and it's all about control. Retail stores, 100%, they don't give you Most retail stores, big box stores, don't give you windows for a reason. They give you unnatural light 
for a reason. Sure. So, and I even remember this when we were working at Target, they changed out the light bulbs to different kinds, but they had to be a specific temperature. Oh. So they were meant to be daylight adjacent. I can't remember what the Kelvin degree in that is. I hate that. So it was to make you feel like you were outside. It was for the employees. So you wouldn't want to go outside. Isn't that fucked up? That literally terrifies me. (laughs) Yeah. So it's 100% meant to disorient you. It's meant to control you. So yeah, this wouldn't work in a Best Buy or something. Well, I guess that's not a good good one because they have kind of the same layout. Some of them might have bigger windows and that kind of stuff. It probably wouldn't work in like a like a crate and barrel or a pottery barn because yeah, there we go. Those have tons of windows because all of that furniture and things are best seen in natural light. So that's why they have exactly all of the. My God, that is just, oh, that makes my skin crawl. See, that's why I love reading books like this because I glean that off as soon as this started, and I realized that it was about a retail store. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna relate to this, <laughs> <laughs> and you do. And even when Amy gets put in the chair and she resigns herself to just being there, I was like, holy shit, you feel like your your life can never go any farther than that. I hate saying it, but it's true. When you get out of it, you're like, holy shit, how was I stepped on so badly? Yeah. The funny thing is, I would still do it. That is how unhealthy of a relationship it is. So the scene that Tyler is referencing for anybody who has not read this book and and wants to. Shame on you. (laughs) Shame on you. You should go do it. Amy has been captured by Warden Worth. Yes. Who is coming through dead Carl. And she has been tied with zip ties to a piece of the furniture in the store. She's got zip ties around her wrists, around her ankles, around her midsection, around her throat. They're everywhere. And they just keep tightening and all they're so tight that they're cutting off blood yeah it's she is sitting there and warden worth is getting inside her brain feeding her all of the negative thoughts about herself yeah and she almost succumbs to it and then i'm pretty sure it's basil comes in with a box cutter and saves her well she does succumb to it yeah but then she comes back from it like he he pulls her back from it yeah it takes a while though and that that's the beauty of that scene is she realizes that her life's going nowhere, but she resigns to not actually going anywhere. And it's, yeah, it's wild that that happens. And then, yeah, she literally has Stockholm Syndrome, kind of. Where Absolutely. She, she gives into the ideal of the captor. Oh, my God. Just. And that's how it feels being in retail. If you haven't worked retail, don't do it. Freaking wild. Well, I really appreciate that parallel. Because it is something that is reminiscent of people who have been in an environment, whether it's retail or something else, for so long that they are conditioned to believe that their autonomy does not matter. Exactly. And that they are supposed to be here for the good of the store. You do what is what I tell you because it's for the good of your employer. And especially now in this era of time with 
all of these young people in the working world, everyone is doing the thing like the quiet quitting thing where I am only going to do what is asked of me and nothing more because I don't owe you any more than that. Yeah. And people job jumping, trying to find the thing that is going to either give them purpose or it's going to make them feel good about what they're doing. Your job's never going to give you purpose. I'm sorry. Well, I, I would disagree with you because my job currently gives me purpose. Like I know. I, that was my nihilism coming out. And that's fine. But I, I appreciate the, the theme of this, that you can either choose to succumb to it or you can overcome it. But as we find out in the epilogue of this, it doesn't matter whether or not you overcome it or succumb to it. It's always there. And it, there's exactly. always, it's always hanging out on the periphery because whether it's this store or that store, it's all, it's, it is like a beehive. It will just always kind of be there. Yep. And every place has a worker bee mentality. You know, it's really funny. There was a, a part in the book that kind of made me wonder if this is actually happening. So when Amy calls the police yeah, and they don't know how to get to the building. Oh my God. And she gives them the address and they're like, this isn't, this doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I had that moment where I was like, holy shit. Are they just like in limbo or something? Mm -hmm. And this is all an entire ghost story anyway, Mm -hmm. where it's just the ghost of a store past reliving itself over and over and over again, just like the prison does. Hell? You mean hell? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Hell. But Uh... we find out that that's not true. You could glean that from this. Yeah. Where that's a good possibility, especially with the epilogue being what it is. Mm -hmm. It's one of the strongest parts, I think, of Grady's writing is his ability to be able to kind of drop what you think might be red herrings and then bringing it all back around to tie everything together. Yes. Like, he is a very accomplished author in that way. And I will continue to wax poetic about him because I think his writing is delightful. I do, too. Well, He's very thoughtful. It really is. It's very, very thoughtful. So, I mean, I've only got a couple more questions. And then I think that brings us rapidly to the end of the show. Cool. Um, if you were a character in this book, knowing what they know, what would you have done differently? I would have fucking left <laughs> when Amy found the door blocked with the gum yeah. so it didn't close. Yep. I would have just gone to my car. And just yeeted out of there. But I guess that's not when everything happened. But when she goes back. Yeah. I mean, it's. Before it's... any of the Warden Worth stuff. Uh-huh. Or when she finally gets out and then she goes back for everybody. Yep. I was kind of like. I don't know if I would. <laughs> Your altruism, <laughs> altruism is dead? Yes. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like the notion is heroic. Yes. It's what you really should do. It's the good thing to do. Yeah. But it's also the stupid thing to do because <laughs> then it's like, well, I guess everybody dies. <laughs> uh, see, this is where my brain stops because I part of it says that I would go back to... But I guess it would depend upon whether or not these people were my friends. Exactly. Because this group of people, right, Basil is desperately trying to get them all to, like, play on the same team because we're all, you know, employees, right? And so you've always had that, you know, everybody's had that manager that they're trying to get everybody to be friends and be a team player and do all that shit. We're a family, says Michael Scott. Says Michael Scott. And 
if the, if these people were truly my friends, like really like my core people, I would go back for you in a minute. That's a completely different Right. Because story. you have a different connection to these people that you're with. Yeah. But if it's somebody that you just work retail with eight hours a day, I don't know if I would do that because unfortunately I'm a selfish bitch and I would totally <laughs> be self-preservation and I would have yeeted out there too. Yeah. And I I have to say I have had work friends before. Right. But where we never were friends outside of work. Right. Just friends in the building. We were friends in the building. Like, yeah, we got along really well. I would probably be like that for one of those kinds of people. Sure. But it's also self-preservationist. Yeah. Like, I, I'm one of those people where it's like, I weigh the pros and the cons of it. And I'm like, does it really make sense for me to sacrifice myself <laughs> into the meat grinder when I just got out of it? <laughs> but the only reason Amy does it, the only reason, was because she had hit her rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And she realizes that. And she was saved from it by Basil. And so out of what you could say is guilt or survivor's guilt, she went back for him because she's... It it was more like just repaying a debt. Yeah, an eye for an eye. Yeah, Yeah, it was a life debt. Yeah, that's that's very true. Last question. Who would you recommend this book to? Anyone. I will say it definitely can be an acquired taste. So if you're not into horror, I would stay away from it. But honestly, if you're looking for a good thrilling read... It's great. And if you like true crime podcasts, this is the perfect kind of book for that. Yes! Because it feels like it's gruesome, but not to the extent that it could be. Grady does a good job of being able to, again, scene paint and give you the world without going too far without pushing the needle too far into fully grotesque horror but the way that Stephen King correct the way that he (laughs) describes the beehive itself the way that he describes when Warden Worth kills his vessel Carl yeah all of those descriptions are exactly what they need to be to get you into the scene Uh without going oh god I didn't need to know about viscera and like all of this other shit And that's what I was going to say. He's actually a very efficient writer. Oh, he's so good. But from a perspective of he only gives you what you need. Yes. And you fill in the rest. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a very, like, good way to do it. I think that's why you engage with it so much. Mm -hmm. Because you're a part of the conversation. Absolutely. You're filling in the blank pieces with what you want it to be. You're given the tools, and then you finish it. Yeah, that's the difference. Whereas, I hate doing this, but he's also one of my favorite authors, but Stephen King Mm -hmm. is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. He gives you four pages of description of what's going on. Yes. For one thing. Yes. And I'm speaking specifically of The Shining. As an ADHD boy, it was very hard to get through some of that book. Yeah, wasn't that, isn't that thing like a thousand pages? No. What's his one thousand page book? Which one? <laughs> there's The Shining. There's It under the dome. <laughs> oh God, he's gonna go down the list. I'm okay. sure there are others, but those are the ones I know off the top of my head. Fair enough. 
Well, I would I would absolutely agree with you that I would recommend this book. I would recommend this book to anybody who's worked retail just to see kind of what their take is on it. I would also recommend this to people who have never worked retail a day in their life because I would love to see the juxtaposition between people who have been in the shit and people who have just been on the periphery of the shit. Yeah, if you've only been a shopper, you'll be like, it can't be that bad. And then you talk to a seasoned vet from retail and there. <laughs> it's the gruff vet just smoking a cigarette going, yeah. I've seen some shit. I've seen it. <laughs> it is, it's also a great book, I think, for anybody who is maybe just starting out in wanting to pursue writing as a passion, as a career. This story is one that gives you, like you said, everything that you need without any of the fluff. It's really good in being able to to paint scenes. It's great in character development. It's great in introducing the big bad slowly and then making him important when it needs to be. Yeah. Because like that's my biggest thing when I'm reading a book is if you give me the big bad right away and then you just kind of shove him in like right in chapter three and I go, well shit, there are 25 chapters in this book. Like what the fuck am I supposed to do with the other 22 chapters? Obviously you haven't read the stand, Mary. Uh, no. (laughs) Where in the very beginning you meet Randall Flagg. Yeah. The man in black. Oh, good. Yeah. No. Who is the bad guy? Awesome. Then it becomes an entire book of good versus evil. Oh, God. Where you're seeing both sides of the story. Fantastic. It's good. But yeah, I agree. I It only works in certain times. Yeah. It's not shoehorned in. No. Like everything feels like it's meant to be there. And that's, I think, what makes this such a good story. Yeah. I mean, that just, that was final thoughts, I feel, on on Grady Hendrix's Horror Store. Again, you can find this book pretty much anywhere you buy books. If you want to shop a local bookstore, hopefully it will be in your local bookstore. Otherwise, you can find it on Amazon.com or any other online retailer. And this and is... the Kindle book is actually not bad. And the Kindle book is not bad. I did not find an audiobook of this. I'm sure it is out there for anybody who wants to listen to this book. There might be. Some publishers don't have them. So some authors actually have to pay for it and do it themselves. Right. Like get someone to do it. Right. Um, and I think he uses an indie publisher, so I'm not sure. Sure. I don't know. There, there might be, but I, I would say that he's enough of an alternative writer that he wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe you'll find one out there. <laughs> so we have now come to the beautiful end of our show. Close the book, literally, on this episode. But <laughs> I know. Will you give me give me an inkling? What are we What are we talking about next week? Yeah, we're talking about a great show that we just finished. Yeah. That is from one of my favorite filmmakers, Yermel del Toro, and it's called The Cabinet of Curiosities. Oh. It's a new t- a Netflix show. My God, you guys, this show is just crazy. It's like the Twilight Zone on crack. I love it because it's not a procedural. Like, it doesn't... It's an anthology. It is an anthology, and it's very it's very wonderful. So we're going to talk about that next week. Before we skedaddle out of here, please make sure that you follow us on social media. If you haven't done so already, we are at Wandering Unicorn Productions on both Facebook and Instagram. If you have something that you'd like us to review, a book, a movie, a TV series, a album, songs, anything, please feel free to email us at wanderingunicornproductions at gmail.com. But until next time, 
This has been Mary, Tyler, and more, your favorite Mumblecast that you've never heard of, a Wandering Unicorn production. Bye, everybody. Biezies. Don't get stuck in the panopticon. 